the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. James Blind is producing. Glad to have you with us. Today we're going to talk with Nan Self. She is the author of Forgiveness, Making Space for Grace. She had to learn that the hard way, as do most authors. They don't write about something from a theoretical standpoint. She's actually had to walk through it, and she'll talk with us about that later this hour. And then in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll talk with Dr. Everett Piper. He's the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. He's also the author of that viral article about a year ago, Not a Daycare. Um, He's going to join us to talk about the student walkout at Notre Dame as the vice president was speaking and how to reverse the trend toward uh, in favor, rather, of free speech and uh, genuine diversity and acceptance. Anyway, he'll join us uh, at uh, at five o'clock. Well, there is a breaking news story. We don't really know all the details that tell us whether or not this is the kind of story that we ought to be alarmed about or it was just an unfortunate series of, uh, of events. But there was an explosion being reported at the Ariana Grande concert in Manchester, England, at about 10 o'clock uh, local time. It was uh, it caused a number of confirmed fatalities and others have been injured, according to police late Monday. The, rep- the uh, police report, the statement on the incident at the Manchester Arena uh, said simply this, emergency services are currently responding to reports of an explosion at the arena. There are a number of confirmed fatalities and others injured. Please avoid the area as first responders work tirelessly uh, at the scene. Uh, details of a casualty bureau will follow as soon as possible. Um, two loud bangs, and there's some dispute on whether or not there was one or two, but in an arena that size, one uh, um, bang can sound like two because the sound echoes. So we're not really sure how many bangs there were. Some reported one, others two. They were reported at approximately 1045 local time just after the concert had finished. Uh, the cause of the blast is not immediately confirmed. There are a variety of possible explanations. There were balloons throughout the um, concert venue, and some suggest perhaps the balloons may have exploded. Some are suggesting uh, maybe, you know, hitting the electrical or the lights or something. Some are suggesting uh, something more serious. But at this point, we just don't know. The fact that there are fatalities is certainly concerning, but that could have been the result of the panic that followed and people trying to exit the arena. So again, a lot of speculation at this point. We don't know a lot of answers to uh, serious questions. A um, label rep told Variety that uh, Grande, who was performing at the arena as part of the Dangerous Woman World Tour, was okay, but did not provide further details. Witnesses described the panic as concert goers rushed to get out of the arena. Uh, one 22-year-old concert goer said that she heard a huge bomb-like bang that hugely panicked everyone, and we were all trying to 
flee the arena. Everyone was in a huge state of panic, calling each other as uh, some had gone to the restroom while the others said had gone off. So it was just extremely disturbing for everyone there. Another witness, a 17-year-old, told Sky News that he was in the bathroom when he heard the loud bang and apparently could hear it from that location. The bang echoed around the foyer and the arena and people started to run. He said he saw people running and screaming toward one direction. Then many were turning around to run back the other way. Security was running out as well as uh, fans and concert goers. Manchester Victoria Station, which is under the arena, was also evacuated. It's sort of like a Carnegie Hall, if you will, but it's connected to the Manchester Victoria Station. It's sort of all of one piece. Uh, Again, we don't really know what caused the bangs. We don't know the source of the fatalities, if it was panic uh, from the crowd or actual explosions. But this story uh, is a breaking news story. And as details are made available, uh, if that is the case during the course of this program, we'll certainly uh, report. Again, Ariana Grande concert explosion, number of confirmed fatalities Police say this is in Manchester, England, and they are on a perpetual heightened state of emergency there for reasons I don't need to explain. But that is the uh, top news story of the day. Well, at least of the moment. President Trump presented the world's top Muslim leaders on Sunday with a message that was both reassuring and direct. He offered closer bonds of friendship, security, culture and commerce, but also challenging them to drive out of their societies, their own societies, those who claim inspiration from Islam as they commit terror around the world. Addressing an unprecedented U.S. Arab Islam uh, gathering in Riyadh, the president did not shy away from using terms eschewed by his predecessors such as Islamic terror and Islamic extremism, and he painted Islamists as part of the threat. Uh, But he also made clear that he does not consider Muslim terrorists to be representing the religion of Islam as they wreak havoc that affect people of all faiths, including their own. Every time a terrorist murders an innocent person, he said, and falsely invokes the name of God, it should be an insult to every person of faith, he told these Uh, Arab leaders and Islamic leaders, terrorists do not worship God, they worship death. When we see the scenes of destruction in the wake of terror, we see no signs that those murdered were Jewish or Christian, Shia or Sunni, Trump said. When we look upon the streams of innocent blood soaked into the ancient ground, we cannot see the faith or sect or tribe of the victim. We see only that they were children of God whose deaths are an insult to all that is holy, end quote. Well, in a key portion of the speech, the White House prepared for delivery, uh, remarks made um, liberal use of capital letters uh, at this point. Trump said the choice between two futures was not one the U.S. could make for the countries in the region. The nations of the Middle East will have to decide what kind of future they want for themselves, for their countries, and for their children, he said. A better future is only possible if your nations drive out the terrorists and drive out the extremists. Drive them out. Drive them out of your places of worship. Drive them out of your communities. Drive them out of your holy land and drive them out of this earth. Uh, And uh, the direct challenge continued, again, quoting the president. That means honestly confronting the crisis of Islamic extremism and Islamists, the Islamic terror of all kinds, he said, departing from his prepared remarks, which said that means honestly confronting the crisis of Islamic extremism and the Islamist terror uh, groups it inspires. A number of media outlets noted that Trump had not uh, used radical Islamic extremism, a term he did Uh, use in his inauguration speech, but using Islamic as a descriptor for terrorism, as he did in Riyadh, is arguably as provocative to many Muslim ears. Certainly the Organization for Islamic uh, Cooperation, OIC, has for years referred uh, to terms like Islamic terror as prime examples of Western Islamophobia. However, that was not the response he received 
uh, as he addressed these leaders. Still, OIC Secretary General praised the summit and offered no public criticism and the uh, and tweeted out a photo of Trump greeting him. Saudi media accounts of the speech, the summit and Trump's visit in general were generally glowing. Back home, the Council on American-Islamic Relations was not impressed. Of course, that's not surprising. Earlier, Kerr urged the president um, to use the event in Riyadh to clarify whether or not he respects Islam and to avoid using pejorative terminology and anti-Muslim stereotypes. In his response to the speech, uh, Awad also commented on the president's use of the term Islamist, calling it an ill-defined term whose use will only perpetuate a false Islam terrorism link. Unfortunately, Islamist uh, is often used to describe both those engaged in acts of terrorism and those seeking peaceful social and political participation. However, the president's speech was quite clear to whom he was addressing, the peaceful Muslims, as he uh, clarified, and those who stand against them, and in particular emphasizing the threat of Iran. Egypt and many of the Arab Gulf states have outlawed the Muslim Brotherhood, calls in Congress for the U.S. to do so, too. Uh, are opposed by groups like CARE, which have long denied uh, being fronts for the group. Um, One group that did complain about Trump's speech was Hamas. No surprise there. In fact, that would be something of a compliment. The U.S. designated foreign terrorist organization that was spawned by the Muslim Brotherhood in 1987 seized control of the Gaza Strip a decade ago. And in his speech, he lumped Hamas with ISIS, Al-Qaeda and Hezbollah when referring to the cost of terrorism, both in the number of victims and in the generations of vanished dreams. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, 16 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We are back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Our breaking news story today is the fact that there has been an explosion of some sort at the Ariana Grande concert that uh, ended about 1045 this, e- or this evening uh, local time in the UK, Manchester, uh, England. Um, There have been a number of confirmed fatalities and other injuries, uh, but we don't know what may or may not have happened. There are a number of different explanations for the uh, the loud bangs uh, that were heard by uh, concert goers. We're going to continue to follow the story. We do know that arena holds about 20,000 people. Uh, Ariana Grande is at the top of the charts. It was a well-attended concert, so there's a lot of chaos going on there right now. But as uh, details are made available, we'll try to pass them along to you. Well, from the uh, meeting with Arab leaders, the president uh, went on in the second leg of, leg, rather, of his foreign first foreign trip as commander in chief. He greeted Israeli leaders in Jerusalem uh, with hopes to lay the groundwork for a peace deal with the Palestinians, saying a rare opportunity exists and the threat posed by Iran is bringing Arab neighbors together toward that goal. You've got Sunni and Shia, Iran being Shia, uh, these Arab nations and Islamic uh, nations being Sunni. Uh, and the president exploiting that opportunity uh, and the threat of Iran. Uh, he, uh, or I should say, President uh, Reuven Rivlin said that there is a growing realization among your Arab neighbors that they have common cause with you on the, in the threat um, posed by Iran. The president said earlier that there's a great feeling for peace throughout the Middle East and suggested a potential warning by other countries toward Israel could be one benefit for the long-running tensions over Iran. It's brought a lot of folks together, Trump said. Well, today the president placed a note in the Western Wall, becoming the first sitting U.S. president to visit Uh, Judaism's holiest site. He stood alone in front of the wall with his hands uh, on um, uh, on it before uh, tucking a note between the cracks. Now, candidate Barack Obama, uh, he also was in Israel and stood at that wall, but he was not president at that time. He slipped a note into the wall. It was later uh, retrieved and and uh, 
someone took advantage of it and the the contents of it were made public, which is unfortunate. But nonetheless, uh, the President Trump placed a note in the Western Wall. First Lady Melania Trump, daughter Ivanka Trump and son-in-law Jared Kushner, uh, they joined Trump at the Western Wall as well as uh, a visit to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. The church was built to commemorate the location where most Christians, or at least some Christians, believe Jesus was crucified and buried. There is another uh, site. Uh, Trump arrived in Israel after a weekend swing through Saudi Arabia, Iran's main rival in the region. The Iranian threat has been a chief theme of the U.S. president's remarks as he's seeking to reassure Middle East allies and bring them together toward a common goal. He explicitly said Monday that Saudi King Salman uh, would love to see peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians. We have a rare opportunity to bring stability and peace in this region, defeat terror and create a future peace, Trump said after speeches uh, from Rivlin and the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu upon arriving. We can only get there by working together. There is no other way. Trump's remarks came after Netanyahu expressed his willingness to make peace with the Palestinians. Israel shares commitment to, of peace already made with Egypt and Jordan. He said, peace we seek is durable in which the Jewish state is recognized. Security remains in Israel's hands and conflict ends once and for all. On Tuesday, the president's going to meet with Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas Uh, After hosting Abbas at the White House in March, uh, President uh, Trump boldly stated that achieving peace is something that I think is, frankly, maybe not as difficult as people have thought over the years. There's a statement to ponder. Um, But we need to be willing. uh, The two parties need to be willing, he continued. We believe Israel is willing. We believe you're willing. And if you both are willing, we're going to make a deal. Well, let's hope it's as simple as he has put it in that statement. White House aides have said to uh, have tried rather to play down expectations for significant progress on the peace process during this stop, casting it as more of a symbolic uh, rather than substantive meeting uh, with the hopes of something more substantive to follow. Meanwhile, Egyptian the Egyptian president says that Trump is capable of doing the impossible uh, in an expression of confidence that this time it may be different. And Israel made a rare overture to the Palestinians, at least in recent memory as well. And again, tensions deepening with Iran is at the heart of some of this um, uh, kumbaya moment that we're witnessing, at least rhetorical. Uh, the Iranian president, Hassan Rouhani, won a second term in office on Friday, securing about 57 percent of the votes cast in Iran's carefully vetted and staged managed presidential election. So whether or not those numbers are accurate, we don't really know. Rouhani is a pragmatic hardliner, often mistakenly described as a moderate by Western media, outpolled a field of rival candidates that included uh, an ultra hardline protege of Ayatollah Ali Khomeini, Iran's supreme leader. The election uh, will change little in Iran. In Iran's theoretical political system, elections advance the interests of the mulocracy, not democracy, the mullahs, in other words. Iran's clerical rulers uh, claim legitimacy by purporting to be carrying out the will of God, not the will of the people. And unlike in the U.S., Iran's president is a political figurehead with very little real power and responsibility. Iran's supreme leader is the ultimate arbiter of important issues, particularly those in the United States, is most concerned about Iran's nuclear program, its ballistic missile force, its export of terrorism, and its effort to export its revolution to Bahrain, Iraq, Lebanon, Saudi 
uh, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, and other places. As the leader of Iran's Islamic Revolution, the Supreme Leader controls the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the military, the cutting edge of the regime, which suppresses political opposition, protects the regime at home and abroad, controls Iran's ballistic missile force, as well as covert nuclear uh, efforts, and orchestrates Iran's support of terrorist groups. So the election is um, uh, meaningful to a, de- to a point, uh, but not really beyond that point. Well, President Trump will be traveling um, two days from now uh, to Rome, and he will meet with the Pope. And the question being asked is, will opposites attract when the two disruptors meet? Um, a, uh, the two men, both of whom stunned the world by their rise to the pinnacle of power, could not be more different in their core beliefs, not nor similar in their unpredictability. Observers say the president wants to strengthen American borders by building a wall with Mexico. Francis, on the other hand, has made helpless, homeless migrants his priority and says anyone who erects barriers between people cannot be a Christian. In one important respect, however, Trump and the Pope share a deep bond. Each has disdain, if not outright disgust, for the traditions of his office. America's CEO has pledged to put America first to rescind trade deals that don't benefit the U.S. The vicar of Christ, or the Pope, as he is known, believes that most powerful nations, especially the United States, should do more to help poorer ones. Trump has vowed to rebuild the military. The Pope thinks the use of armed force is inherently immoral. Trump was, until he became president, the poster boy for self-made wealth and affluent living. Francis has called on rich people to give away their fortunes in order to attain salvation, which, of course, is not the means by which salvation is obtained, I feel obliged to point out. In one important respect, although giving away one's wealth is certainly admirable, in one important respect, however, Trump and the Pope share a deep bond. Each has disdain, if not outright disgust, for the traditions of his office. I repeat, Trump has uh, shocked official Washington with his ill-thought-out statements, his indifference to accuracy, his savage assessment of working, uh, the working press. He's managed to weld together Democrats, some Republicans, liberals, and nearly all the Beltway media into a coalition dedicated to his downfall, although the Beltway media is supposed to be above it all. And Francis signaled instantly after his 2013 elevation to the throne of Peter, as the Catholic Church calls it, that he was a different, perhaps radical leader. He refused to move into the papal residence, made his own phone calls, expressed doubt about the church's centuries-old disapproval of homosexuality, rebuked, and in some cases removed cardinals and bishops who challenged his unorthodox views, alarmed a few conservative members of the uh, uh, Curia, have put up resistance. Um, they've bolstered by, uh, been bolstered by um, uh, right-wing Catholic publications that fear Francis is going too far too fast. And as a result of their separate eccentricities, both men deal with a constantly swirling whirlpool of rumors, resentment, rebellion, and malicious leaks around them. Trump tweets his um, uh, thoughts and resentments uh, while the Pope uh, communicates as a pope would. Francis tosses aside church magisterium like yesterday's newspaper, and in so doing, each has shaken the foundations of the institution he was elected to preserve, while also inspiring legions of supporters, some rabid, starved for what they view as long overdue change. That meeting is scheduled to take place on Wednesday of this week. In Rome, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson scolded the Turkish ambassador this week after security guards wounded protesters outside Turkey's embassy in Washington. We called the Turkish ambassador into the State Department to say this is unacceptable, Tillerson said, speaking on Fox News Sunday. The confrontation occurred soon after the president, uh, President Trump, met with the Turkish prime minister. 
Um, last week in Washington, members of Erdogan's security detail brutally attacked a group of peaceful protesters outside Turkey's embassy in Washington, D.C. In fact, they were across the street. Uh, and you can see his um, uh, security detail crossing the street to uh, uh, attack, confront uh, these protesters. Video of the event showed the uh, security obeying the D.C. police who were trying to break up the attack, which sent a number of protesters to the hospital. Lawmakers on the Hill called for the administration to issue a formal rebuke, and there were even calls for the Turkish ambassador to be ordered to go home. Well, the U.S. ambassador from uh, in Ankara was summoned to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Turkey said, over what it called aggressive and unprofessional actions by U.S. security personnel against Turkish bodyguards in Washington during the president's uh, visit last week. Well, the move today appeared to be in retaliation for calls in the United States for strong action against the Turkish security uh, officials, the officers were seen hitting and kicking protesters outside the ambassador's residence in Washington. The two uh, Turkish bodyguards were briefly detained after the incident. They were later set free and returned to Turkey. The back and forth continues. 31 minutes after four o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. When we return, we're going to talk with Nan Self. Her book is titled Forgiveness, Making Space for Grace. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're continuing to cover the breaking story uh, in Manchester, England, where the Ariana uh, Grande concert uh, explosions were reported. They're now shifting their focus away from the arena itself to uh, the side of that facility next to the ticket office in a foyer, uh, which explains why the uh, the sound was so loud and could be heard outside. Uh, we still don't have any details as to whether or not it was an actual explosion or uh, it was speculated that perhaps some balloons inside the arena may have created the sound that frightened everyone. It seems now that uh, given the fact that it's uh, originated from not the arena itself, but from a side area near a ticket office in the foyer, uh, may uh, at least explain that it may have, in fact, been an explosion um, that took place in that area. We'll continue to follow the story. Well, forgiveness is often spoken of. I think we all agree that it's something that's important. We attempt it, and occasionally we understand it. My next guest, Nan Brown Self, she unlocks the secret of experiencing and practicing this fundamental key to walking in freedom from our past offenses in her newly released book, Forgiveness, Making Space for Grace. She is, has a passion for applying and uh, teaching of Scripture to everyday life and has taught on the subject of forgiveness for over 35 years. But it was her own exhaustion and load of emotional baggage that she carried for far too long that brought her to the foot of the cross. She sensed the Lord saying, why do you continually bring your burdens of unforgiveness but never leave them there? Well, in seeking to answer his question, she found fresh perspective on one of the most fundamental teachings of Scripture and, more importantly, experienced the grace of forgiveness that left her past where it belonged at the cross with Jesus, never to be taken up again. Nan Self is a third-generation author. Her father, Ed Brown, a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, wrote a um, glider pilot training manual and numerous articles for military magazines during the World War II. Her grandmother w- wrote uh, three books of uh, prose that were published between 45 and 55. Uh, Nan has always found writing to be a creative outlet, whether she was writing in her personal journal or writing um, syllabi for classes that she was teaching. Well, in her late 20s, she began studying the Bible to find answers to many of the questions that she had about God and her relationship with him. She found the answers that she had been looking for in Scripture. After studying that with numerous uh, Bible teachers, she became a Bible teacher 
uh, teaching Bible classes and seminars throughout Texas. She has a passion for applying the teaching of the scriptures to everyday life. And for over 35 years, she has done just that, teaching forgiveness, emphasizing releasing the past through forgiving and rebuilding relationships. She has a Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology from the University of Texas at Dallas and a Master's degree in Education from the University of Northern Texas in Denton, a retired licensed professional counselor and registered uh, play therapist. She is a former member of the American Association of Christian Counselors. She counseled and taught families, individuals, and children for over 10 years. Uh, She and her husband still live in uh, Texas. She joins us today to talk about her book simply titled Forgiveness, Making Space for Grace. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Georgine, for having me. Forgiveness is such a difficult thing, uh, I suppose, to apply, to uh, to comprehend, uh, to embrace, and to walk in. Uh, this was a subject for you because you found yourself in a position where the solution to what had become a problem was forgiveness. Describe a little bit of your journey toward understanding what the Scripture teaches on the subject. Okay, I'd be, I'd be happy to. Um, I guess really my my quest for forgiveness um, began when I was I was a new Christian and I received a magazine that had um, a very unhappy man crouched down on the cover and it looked like he had some kind of glass jar on top of him and the cover title of the magazine was the barrier of unforgiveness and I said to myself well I don't know much about forget forgiveness. Uh, I want to know more about it, and I want to know what this barrier is. So that began that began my journey of learning about forgiveness. And one of the first things that I learned was that um, when someone offends me through unkind words, criticism, judgment, or anything else, I could immediately choose to receive God's grace and not take offense to the offender, instead release the offense to God. Now, that was my first choice. But then, if I decided to refuse God's grace and take the offense into my heart and hold the offender accountable through my sin of unforgiveness, then I put myself in the prison of unforgiveness. And I learned about this prison um, I certainly had been in the prison of unforgiveness for many years, carrying lots of um, baggage from many years, sometimes decades, and um, that's where I found myself, carrying around these heavy burdens. So I wanted to know what to do about it. How can I get out of this prison of unforgiveness? So little by little, God began to teach me that... um, Once I take the offense into my heart, then I am in unforgiveness, and it is a sin. So he showed me that I needed to confess my sin of unforgiveness and to repent of it. And now repent means to turn your back on it, but it also means to fall out of agreement with your sin. That's called renouncing it. Mm -hmm. So you fall out of agreement with it. And then, God being the amazing God that he is, you can ask him to take your sin to the cross and put it to death and ask him to give you a new heart of forgiveness in its place. And then, to complete that, 
You can also ask him to meet the needs in you that were not met as a child. And some of these needs are unconditional love, acceptance, worth and value, security, recognition, comfort, nurture, and emotional nourishment. Those are basic needs of children. Now, of course, they're basic needs of adults, and many adults did not have those needs met. But God is waiting to meet those needs for you. And then, as you ask him to do that for you, then by faith, you receive your forgiveness from him. And it is a gift. Forgiveness is a gift. It's a gift of grace. It's something that we don't deserve, and we did nothing to receive. But Jesus Christ died for all of our forgiveness on the cross. And he bought and paid for us to have a wonderful relationship with God. Mm. I love the way you describe unforgiveness as a sin and that the gift of grace gives us the capacity to forgive when we are incapable of doing that on our own. You write in the introduction that I realized that as long as I remained in unforgiveness, I carried that unforgiveness with me. When I didn't forgive, I bound myself to the person I was not willing to forgive. And you also make reference to an ancient practice that might help us better understand what unforgiveness is as we turn our attention in a moment to forgiveness. Uh, The burden of unforgiveness is perhaps more serious than we uh, imagine. Talk a bit about that ancient practice uh, of one who um, uh, who had sinned having to carry that burden with them. Okay. Um, there is an ancient pra- practice in biblical times, and that practice was that if someone murdered another person, they bound the murderer and shackled the body, the dead body, to the murderer, and the murderer had to drag the body around for three days. And by the end of three days, you've got a foul smell. It's stinking. And um, there, that's you're presented with that, and it is going everywhere you're going. So unforgiveness is very much like that. It causes us to be bound to the past. And as long as we will not forgive, we cannot release the past and be free and at peace, which is what God bought and paid for on the cross for us. He bought our peace. He bought our forgiveness. So he wants us to receive forgiveness from him. Then he wants us to give that forgiveness away. He never intended for us to keep it. He wants us to share it, and he wants it to be multiplied. And if you think about it, If one person forgives five people and those five people forgive five people, then you can begin a forgiveness revolution. And that's what we need in this country. That's what we need in this world. Mm. Now, we're going to take a quick break, but we will continue our conversation in just a moment. Again, we're talking about a wonderful book that's very practical for those who want to know what the scriptures teach about forgiveness and where the power comes from to actually live it out. The book is titled Forgiveness, Making Space for Grace. My guest, Nan Brown Self, she'll be back with me in just a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 50 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, talking with Nan Brown Self. Her book is titled Forgiveness Making Space 
for grace. Now, your book is designed to be very practical and not just uh, to inspire people to take an academic uh, look at what forgiveness is and isn't, but also to challenge them to apply what the scriptures say. Describe how you, at the end of each chapter, uh, provide opportunity for people to go a bit deeper. Well, that, it's an interesting story because I, I told a friend one day that I was writing a book, and she said, oh, I have a population of women that I minister to, and they really need a good study guide. Do you think maybe you, you could include some questions? And I thought about it, and I said, well, gosh, that's a really good idea. So after every chapter, we have uh, reflective questions, and then we have a worksheet, and after the worksheet, we have a prayer. And each, um, each prayer, um, it pertains to that particular chapter and what you are trying to do, such as bitter root judgments, offenses, whatever it is. And um, so it's, um, it's a good study guide, and um, I think that it helps take you even deeper uh, into the subject of forgiveness. And you are always blessed when you go into the subject of forgiveness. You um, have a, a, in the early part of the book, you ask the question, who do you need to forgive? And in the following um, pages, you also make the point that we need to sometimes forgive ourselves. Describe what that might look like. Think about Peter, but describe what that might look like. And then you outline some steps, ways that we can forgive ourselves when that is what is called for. Okay. Um, well, actually, this this chapter, uh, this part of the chapter came from, um, from my own life because I grew up in a very, um, very critical atmosphere. Um, and so I turned the criticism on myself. And so I needed to ask forgiveness of myself, really. I had to become um, a gracious person toward myself. And the way that I did that was through forgiveness. And so I would go through the steps of forgiveness, which um, you take your sin to the cross. So my sin was judging myself and being unforgiving toward myself. So I took that to the cross and asked God to nail it to death and deprive it of all life. Then I asked him for a new heart that could receive acceptance of myself and of who I was, and that I could, um, any anything that you have that's the opposite. So I needed acceptance. I needed to begin to love myself. I needed comfort. And so I asked for the opposite of what I had, and I asked God to bring that to me through my heart. And then I asked him to meet my childhood needs that were not met, and then I received his forgiveness by faith. And one one of the kind of interesting things that happened during this time, I I had uh, someone come up to me and discern that um, he said, I hear you talking about forgiveness a lot, but I discern that you have not forgiven yourself. And I said, that's very perceptive. This is very true. So he had me do a little simple exercise when I would do something that was, quote, 
not up to my standard, um, I would begin to say, I forgive myself. And he even had me, um, if I was available, go to a mirror and look myself straight in the eye and say, I forgive you in the name of Jesus. And that just brought such a release to my spirit, Georgie. It really did. Mm. And I think that resonates with a lot of listeners who look back at something that they may have done uh, that they regret but cannot uh, let go. And uh, that kind of self-forgiveness that releases us to move forward in ways that God intends can be a real challenge. You write about the roots of unforgiveness and you sort of contrast that with the root of the righteous. Talk a bit about those uh, those two very different roots. Okay. Um, the root of unforgiveness uh, is a very bitter root. And it goes down into the heart. There's a scripture in Hebrews 12:15 that talks about it. It says, let no root of bitterness go down into your heart because... From it can spring forth resentment, and we know that it leads to other things. It also can lead to illness. And um, so bitterness, resentment, anger, hatred, all of these things can we can put back upon ourselves, and they are roots that go down into our spirit. However, I had a grandmother that was just absolutely amazing. And of all things, her name was Grace. Mm. And she was, she was a righteous root in our family. And she modeled what a relationship with the Lord was like. She modeled um, the, uh, the love and compassion, the generosity of spirit that the Lord has. And she changed my life through her love. And she appreciated. In fact, all those needs that I speak about, where uh, children have not the the children have not had these needs met, she met those needs because she was accepting and loving. She was um, interested in my life. She knew that I had worth and value. She was a secure and safe person for me. All of these are attributes of the Lord, and. If, if you do not have someone like this in your family, then you can decide to become the righteous root. Because every family needs a righteous root like my grandmother. She was absolutely amazing, always forgiving, creative, loving, just like Jesus Christ. And so that was our righteous root. But you remember that any root produces fruit. So... When you go to forgiveness and you go to these different things that are in the book, you need to look for the roots. And if you can't see the roots, you ask God, you pray and ask God to show you the roots because you need to get the roots out so that he can put in the life-giving soil of forgiveness and love and peace and freedom in your spirit so that you can live in the present and not be bound to the past and you can look forward to the future. So roots are very important. When you look at a tree, you see the fruit and you will know the condition of the root. 
You write about uh, wounds, about restoring relationships, the prison of passivity, uh, walking in forgiveness, and a heart that uh, that brings life. Um, our time is almost out, but let's talk a, a bit about uh, a heart that brings life. That's ultimately the goal when we walk in uh, the freedom of forgiveness and grace. Yes, absolutely. And so the last chapter of Forgiveness Making Space for Grace is about a kept heart brings life. And that is a scripture. And God is very interested in the ground of your heart. He wants it to be tilled. He wants the soil to come up. He wants the nutrients to be put in the ground of your heart. Now, you put those nutrients in by studying the Word, by listening to Him, by praying to Him, by um, taking your time each day for a devotional. All of this helps the ground of your heart. And He wants that soil to be ready to receive His Word His seed is the Word of God, and He wants that to go into your heart. He wants wants the, um, the water to come exactly at the right time. He wants those roots, those fresh young roots that bring so much nourishment to your spirit and to your heart. He wants those to go down into the soil, and He wants forgiveness and peace and love to spring up in the ground of your heart. And this is the way you do it, by seeking Him, seeking His Word, and praying for your needs. Receive those needs by faith in the name of Jesus. Praise Him and rejoice for all the wonderful gifts He has given to you. Amen. Again, the book is titled Forgiveness, Making Space for Grace. Nan Brown Self, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you so much, Georgine, for having me. And bless everyone who is listening. Thank you. News and traffic up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. We're glad to have you with us. We're continuing to follow the breaking news story out of Manchester, England, in which apparently there was an explosion of some sort at an Ariana Grande concert in Manchester caused by a number of confirmed, uh, or I should say, uh, there have been confirmed a number of fatalities and others injured. We don't yet know uh, the source of this um, calamity, but we do know that the U.K., Counterterrors unit is treating this as a potential terrorist attack. We'll continue to follow uh, the details uh, and until we have anything confirmed, we shouldn't uh, draw uh, any conclusions, but we are following the story. Well, dozens of students marched out of their own graduation ceremony as the vice president, Mike Pence, took to the stage at the University of Notre Dame. As an administrator finished introducing the vice president, several students got up. They walked out before the vice president could even begin to speak. Before the students walked out, the administrator said that people could disagree with Mr. Pence, his politics, but still respect him as an official, you know, like we used to. Um, The administrator said even those who disagree with Mike Pence recognize him as a man of principle. I do as well. Well, the vice president was praised by the administrator as a great representative of Indiana over his tenure in public life. 
The vice president seemed unfazed by the display and began his speech as planned, which was very poignant. And those students who'd walked out could uh, could have learned something. But nonetheless, this is a growing trend, particularly if the speaker uh, is a conservative. Well, joining us is Dr. Everett Piper. He's president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. He's the author of the viral article, Not a Daycare. He's been outspoken on this issue and is an advocate for free speech rights and ending the coddling of students on college campuses. He joins us now to uh, talk about what happened, how we might reverse this trend and return to teaching the truth to college students who have a backbone to hear views that um, are contrary to their own. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Piper. Jardine, thank you for having me. I'm honored. Well, let's talk about this incident. The vice president took to the podium. Everyone there knew who the commencement speaker would be. What was the point these students were trying to make, and how did that impact the event? I would argue they're trying to make the point that they don't care about pursuing what's right and just and true. They don't care about true tolerance because their actions are truly intolerable. It's ironic in that they basically are saying, I can't tolerate your intolerance, and I hate those hateful people, and I'm sure that nothing is sure. They don't recognize they're sawing off the very branch upon which they sit, but their whole worldview makes no sense. It's literally nonsense. You know, G.K. Chesterton told us about 100 years ago that when you get rid of big laws, you don't get liberty, but rather thousands of little laws that rush in Mm -hmm. to fill the vacuum. In other words, if we can't live by 10 simple laws, okay, Moses or Jesus said there were two, if we can't live by those simple laws, those self-evident truths that are endowed to us by our Creator, then we will be subject to the tyranny or the anarchy of the rule of the gang or the tyranny of one. And you see it as you see these students pouting because they don't like what you're saying. It's the opposite of intellectual freedom. It's ideological fascism. Now, they suggested that, of course, they didn't hear anything that he said because they had left the room by that point, and he spoke to precisely what they were engaged in at the time. Uh, They said they were opposed to the Trump administration and their policies. Um, Does this kind of demonstration accomplish even what the students purport to, uh, to desire to accomplish? And what does this tell us about uh, where we're headed as a as a, a public, uh, a republic rather, when academics, and we're presuming these students who are graduates are to some measure academics, uh, cannot tolerate uh, viewpoints that are contrary to their own. Well, I'm going to repeat myself a little bit here. It tells us that they're really not interested in an open, robust exchange of ideas. You know, I have a new book coming out in August. It's titled Not a Daycare, Why a Coddled Nation is a Crippled Nation. My first book a few years ago was titled Why I'm a Liberal and Other Conservative Ideas. And my point in that answers your question. As a bold, unapologetic conservative, I really am more interested in a robust argument, an exchange of ideas, more so than my progressive left-to-center counterpart who just wants to shut down the debate because he or she doesn't want anything that makes them feel uncomfortable, which is the point in my second Mm -hmm. book coming out. And that is, if we continue to worship comfort rather than challenge one another and confront one another, we will never grow. I've never grown, and neither have you, I would argue, outside of the context of being challenged and confronted by those who loved us enough to say, you need to grow up, there's something bigger and better for you to reach for. Good education isn't about making you feel safe, it's about challenging you and making you feel uncomfortable at times. Now, what's happening on college and university campuses where... The uh, the mantra is uh, multiculturalism and diversity, where this level of intolerance has 
uh, has made it impossible for certain points of views to be tolerated at all. What, what's happening, and when did this begin? We worship at the altar of diversity rec- rather than recognizing that it's a university. My uh. university, my college, is a university. We stand for the unity and the integration of fact and faith and head and heart and religion and reason. It's the unity of the human experience. And today, we actually have gone the opposite direction, and we actually have diversities now rather than universities. We believe in segregation rather than integration and division rather than unity. That's not good education. Well, it certainly is not. These students are now graduates. Uh, graduates. There are students in colleges and universities all across the country today who are likely to turn out with the same uh, perspective. What needs to happen either in the home, in the high school, in the university, the college, the workplace, that will change this trend uh, away from uh, listen to me, but I don't have to listen to you. Uh, and and perhaps promote the kind of unity that you describe that recognizes that there is true difference among us uh, that and persuasion is uh, replacing this this notion of dominance and power. We need to acknowledge as a human as human beings that there are principles that are time tested and true. The truth is an objective reality. It's not just a construct. I don't pat you on the back when you graduate from Oklahoma Wesleyan University and say, congratulations, you've got a diploma in opinions. I really hope you actually learn something, and I frankly don't care what your opinion is on that commencement day, and you shouldn't care what mine is. Pol Pot and Mao and Robespierre and Chavez and Stalin and Hitler and all the despots of history had opinions, and it didn't end well. Truth sets us free, the very words of Christ. In other words, like... uh, Uh, like C.S. Lewis said, you must have a measuring rod outside of those things being measured, or you can do no measuring. And that measuring rod is the objectivity of truth as the objective end of education. Now, the vice president spoke, he decried free speech suppression, uh, the very thing that uh, these students needed to hear, but failed to hear because they simply were unwilling to listen uh, to what the vice president had to say, because they have a, a very different set of core values and worldview. Um, in summary, what was it that the president, the vice president was attempting to say to those students that might have remedied the very problem you've outlined? Well, ironically enough, and you're spot on by asking this question, ironically enough, the worldview that he was trying to espouse and did, if they would have stayed to listen, is the actual worldview that gives them the freedom to misbehave in the first place. In other words, He's advocating that within a free society that you've got given boundaries. It's not a free for for all. It's a free society. It's the paradox of discipline and freedom. And if you would discipline yourself enough to sit here and listen to me talk during this commencement, we actually might be able to have a human experience of disagreeing, arguing, and trying to come to a conclusion. But they couldn't understand that paradox enough to discipline themselves long enough to actually sit still and listen to somebody that might have a contrary idea and actually might have something valuable to say that would challenge them. Mm. Well, I have to tell you, um, Dr. Piper, I have been counting the days for your (laughs) your next book to come out. Uh, So I'm very much looking forward to that, and I hope we can continue our conversation at that time. Oh, I'd be honored, and I'd be blessed. It's October 5th. It's coming out. Not a daycare. Why a coddled nation is a crippled nation. I'm looking forward to it, and uh, we'll certainly welcome you back at that time. 
Okay. Thank you so much. Again, Dr. Everett Piper is the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University and author of that viral um, article from some time back, maybe as long as a year ago, not a daycare, talking about the student walkout at Notre Dame University when the vice president delivered the commencement speech. By the way, we're continuing to follow this breaking story in Manchester, uh, England. We now know there are 19 dead, 50 injured in that concert incident, it apparently took place not in the concert hall, but near the concert hall in a lobby area. We'll try to get some additional information, and they are looking at it as a terror uh, strike in that area. Again, when we return, we'll try to provide more detail. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 19 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're continuing to follow the breaking news story out of Manchester, England, where a an Ariana Grande concert was taking place. We now know that people were leaving uh, the venue. The uh, explosion apparently took place outside in a public space, right outside. The, it's not only a, a concert arena, but there's also the train station that is beneath it. So con- concert goers were leaving uh, the concert at the time of the explosion. It was outside in a public space. Uh, reports vary uh, between 19 and 20 fatalities confirmed, at least 50 injured. Some suggest as many as 100 injured. Police are dealing with what they're referring to in the UK. Again, we're talking about Manchester. A serious incident um, confirmed a number of fatalities uh, with confirmed reports of an explosion. So some of the speculation early on has now narrowed to an actual explosion. Officers said people were also injured in the incident, warned people to stay away from the arena area while they dealt with the issues. Officers didn't release any further details of what has happened. The concert uh, by Ariana Grande has um, was being staged at the time. Uh, one of the concert goers told The Guardian, the UK Guardian, there was quite a loud explosion heard from inside the Manchester arena and it shook the arena. Then everyone screamed and tried to get out. We are now being told that explosion took place outside of the arena, but in close enough proximity that it was heard within uh, the arena and it did shake the building. She added, as we got outside, lots of police came racing towards the arena, uh, the area and the whole of the Victoria train station was surrounded by police. She said there were people screaming and crying everywhere, shouting that there's a bomb. And also people were saying there's a shooter. There's been no confirmation of a shooter, but apparently that's what was being said. Uh, police were blocking off roads in the area. There were sirens uh, everywhere. Another 26 year old uh, who's uh, um, uh, flat is opposite the venue reported a huge bang rocking the neighborhood. So it was loud enough and with enough force that it was felt not just in uh, close proximity to the arena or the train station, but at some distance as well. She told the press association uh, that I just heard a huge bang from my bed came out uh, to my, the front of my apartment. We're on the uh, top floor. So we have perfect view and everyone was running away in big crowds. The bang was so big. I heard it from my room, which is at the back of the apartment block. Currently lots of emergency services are going to and from, but can't see anything substantial. She went on to say, again, we now know the explosion took place somewhere around 1040, 1045 as concert goers were leaving the venue. The boom was so loud that it was thought by those in the auditorium, uh, in the concert venue, that it was within that um, that space. But uh, we are now being told that it took place outside um, and was sufficient to end the lives of some 19, 20 people, some 50 injured. And we're seeing emergency vehicles, uh, co- vehicles come and go. As uh, more details uh, become available, we'll certainly uh, pass those along. But again, this is the breaking news story of the afternoon. 19 fatalities, 50 injured in Manchester, England, following an Ariana Grande uh, concert.
Well, taking a look at uh, other news of the uh, the weekend, really, um, Iran, as I mentioned before, our uh, guest uh, in the last hour, hour Iran's uh, Rouhani has won re-election and rather emboldened, although his his power is somewhat limited, as I explained earlier. Uh, he is quoted as saying, we will not wait for the U.S.'s permission to test ballistic missiles. We talked last week about the connection between North Korea and Iran, and they are doing a, a, a bit of saber rattling despite the Iran nuclear deal uh, themselves. Well, the newly reelected president, Hassan Rouhani, said today that his country will continue its ballistic missile program despite criticism from U.S. President Donald Trump. This is, of course, at the time that the president is in the Middle East meeting with the Sunni Muslims, uh, Saudi Arabia and others, uh, about the possibility of establishing some sort of um, NAFTA, if you will, for Arab nations, uh, uh, Islamic nations, Sunni Muslims, as a counterweight to Iran. He went on to say the U.S. leaders should know that whatever, uh, whenever we need a missile, uh, missile test because of a technical aspect, we will test. He was uh, speaking at a news conference. We will not wait for them, referring to the United States, and their permission. Our missiles are for peace, not for attack. Now, that may be uh, challenging to interpret, but perhaps peace through strength is the point he's trying to make. Well, the remarks came three days after he won Iran's presidential election, securing another four-year term. On Sunday, the president also made a speech in Riyadh. That's in Saudi Arabia that urged leaders in the Middle East region to combat extremism, saying that our goal is a coalition of nations. And these are Sunni Muslim nations who share the aim of stamping out extremism and providing our children a hopeful future that does honor to God. Trump said the president speaking to a crowd that included leaders of more than 50 Muslim majority countries, said his goal isn't to lecture people how to live, but to offer partnership. Instead, we are here to offer partnership based on shared interests and values to pursue a better future for all of us, the president said. Well, on Monday, he touched down in Israel for the second part of his foreign trip, the first one since taking office. He met with Israeli President Reuven Rivlin in Jerusalem and said in a statement after the meeting that Israel and uh, and Muslim nations have a growing realization that they share a common cause of combating the threat posed by Iran. Trump also criticized Iran's early uh, uh, Iran rather earlier in his trip for spreading destruction and chaos throughout the region. His comments were echoed by Saudi King Salman, who declared the Iranian regime has been uh, the spearhead of global terrorism. Rouhani countered the uh, comments by saying the United States does not understand the region. Well, 50 uh, Muslim uh, majority nations is rather impressive uh, uh, if he does not understand. Well, those who provide consultations or advice to the Americans, unfortunately, he went on to say they are the rulers who either push America awry or with money. They just buy some people in America, Rouhani said in response to a question by the Associated Press. He also alarmed Saudi Arabia, saying that the kingdom has never seen a ballot box while Iran just hosted a successful presidential election in which over 40 million people voted. He also called the Saudi summit a show-off convention that will not have any political or practical values. Well, whether or not it has political or practical value does remain to be seen, but it certainly was an historic meeting. And what happens next, we'll all just have to um, wait to see. Meanwhile, North Korea said today that it's uh, it uh, is ready to uh, mass produce a new medium range missile that has the capacity of reaching Japan and major U.S. military bases. After its latest launch, it claimed confirmed the rocket's combat readiness. North Korea launched the solid fuel um, 
Well, it's a missile on Sunday, the name of which I will not mispronounce. It reached a height of 350 miles before splashing into the Pacific Ocean. The isolated country said in an, uh, it is an answer to President Trump's policies. North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un ordered and watched the launch, according to state media. The report said the test verified technical aspects of the weapon system and examined uh, its uh, capability and adaptability under various battle conditions before it was deployed. Uh, for military units. Kim reportedly said the launch was a success, approved the deployment of its uh, weapon system for action, and said that it should be uh, rapidly mass-produced. Well, North Korea has vowed uh, more missile tests in the face of international sanctions and satellite imagery has shown that it may be preparing for a sixth nuclear missile test. North Korea, a week earlier, had successfully tested a new mid-range missile, the um, Hwasong-12, that is said to uh, have the capacity to carry heavy nuclear warheads. It also exposes um, the weakness on the part of the Chinese to influence its uh, its ally moving forward, which um, uh, may spell trouble for those attempting to prevent uh, the nuclear development of uh, North Koreans' uh, munitions moving forward. Well, back here at home, former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn plans to invoke his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination and rebuff a Senate panel subpoena. Uh, Flynn's decision comes less than two weeks after the Senate Intelligence Committee issued a subpoena for Flynn's documents as part of the panel's investigation into Russia's meddling into the 2016 election. Sources close to Finn, uh, Flynn rather, emphasize that the decision is not evidence of guilt or wrongdoing. Experts say records can be viewed as testimony and that providing them could be seen as waiving Fifth Amendment constitutional protections. Flynn has previously sought immunity from unfair prosecution to cooperate with the committee. The Senate committee is one of several congressional inquiries investigating Russian meddling in the 2016 race and possible collusion between Russia and President Trump's 2016 campaign. Flynn is also the target of other congressional investigations as well. Um, There's also an ongoing FBI counterintelligence probe and a uh, separate federal investigation in Virginia. Former FBI Director Robert Mueller uh, was brought in last week to serve as special counsel overseeing the FBI's Russia investigation. This is separate from the Senate committee's work, and there's lots of work being done from lots of different uh, places. Flynn is a retired Army lieutenant general. He was fired from his position as the Trump national security advisor in February. At the time, the president said he fired Flynn because he misled senior administration officials, including the vice president, about his contacts with the Russian officials. Members of key congressional committees are pledging a full public airing of why the former FBI director James Comey was ousted amid an intensifying investigation into Russia's interference with the U.S. election, and Comey was fired by Trump uh, earlier this month. The former FBI director agreed to testify before the Senate Intelligence Committee after the Memorial Day holiday. So lots going on by way of investigations, and the special prosecutor, of course, being the granddaddy of them all. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about whether or not the turmoil that the president faces back here at home could affect the uh, retirement of Justice Kennedy. Lots of rumors swirling around of a Kennedy retirement. Um, That has abounded for many months, but gained new attention after multiple Republican senators on the Judiciary Committee suggested another vacancy would come this summer. More on that when we return. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back 36 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, the turmoil surrounding the president uh, could affect Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy's decision to retire. 
least according to some court watchers, although others think the scandal surrounding Trump's firing of FBI Director James Comey will not change uh, his thinking. I mean, after all, he's 80 and retirement is something he may just want to do regardless of what's going on. Rumors of Kennedy's potential retirement have abounded for months. Uh, But it gained new attention after uh, uh, several Republican senators on the Judiciary Committee suggested another vacancy would come this summer. Well, South Texas uh, College of Law professor Josh Blackman, he said he doesn't think Comey's firing and news of Trump's uh, conversation, rather, with Comey will affect Kennedy's thinking about whether to retire, which liberals hope he does not do. He went on to say, I think Kennedy has an idiosyncratic understanding of reality because of his uh, insularity as a judge. He may not have the same concerns as someone embedded in politics. Well, Blackman noted that if Kennedy retired at uh, at this point in the, this year, it would happen later than several recent justices uh, have. But Blackman added, uh, it's plausible Kennedy would wait until the end of the term to make a retirement announcement because of how he appears to enjoy keeping people guessing. Well, a source familiar with the judicial selection process who has advised the White House said that they um, uh, did not know whether the turmoil ensnaring the president's administration would affect the uh, decision of the, the jurist. Um, The appointment of former FBI Director Robert Mueller as special counsel for the FBI investigation into any Trump ties to Russia ensures that there's not the kind of political uncertainty and chaos over the next few months uh, to a year uh, that there otherwise would have been, the sources said. So having a special prosecutor sort of puts an end to some of um, uh, the uncertainty. Uh, Kennedy has been sensitive to how people have portrayed him. Uh, says uh, uh, Neil Devon, Sandro Day O'Connor's law professor at the College of William and Mary in Williams, uh, Williamsburg, Virginia. There's reason to believe that at the margins, the turmoil surrounding Comey's departure could matter to him. Now, uh, there may be other things going on involving his health and involving other circumstances that would uh, uh, trump, pardon the language, uh, the the decision to retire. Uh, but there's a lot of speculation about whether or not this will have an impact on Uh, The swirling rumors that he intends to make a retirement announcement uh, this summer. So we'll just keep our ears open uh, for what he decides uh, to say or not say. Well, the 2016 presidential campaign is still being litigated quite literally as Trump administration controversies command media attention. A little noticed set of lawsuits against the Democratic Party continues to play out in the courts, including one claiming coordination with the Clinton campaign against Bernie Sanders amounted to election fraud. The case being heard in a Florida courtroom dates back to last summer when the Democrats were thrown into turmoil following the leak of documents that appeared to show some DNC officials sought to undermine Sanders in the party primary. Jared Beck, a Harvard law expert, shortly afterward filed a class action lawsuit on behalf of residents of 45 states against the DNC and former chairwoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz. The DNC has been trying for months to have the case dismissed and scored a temporary victory last year when it was decided the plaintiffs had improperly filed the paperwork. Well, Beck has been fighting the DNC every step of the way and is demanding the party repay individuals and Sanders supporters for contributions made during the election, alleging misappropriation of funds. If um, if we can't trust the two political parties to run an election in a fair manner, who can we trust? Beck went on to say, well, during the most recent hearing on the 25th of April before a judge in the Southern District of Florida, the DNC made a strictly legal argument, one that surely would have um, a rankled Sanders supporters. Bruce Spiva, who's the uh, lawyer for the DNC, argued in its motion to dismiss the party's uh, uh, to, to dismiss, rather, that the party holds the right to select its candidate any way it chooses, and it's not bound by pledges of fairness. 
we could have voluntarily decided that, look, we're going to go into back rooms like they used to and smoke cigars and pick a candidate that way. That's not the way it was done. There were no cigars. They're not popular these days. Of course, I'm adding that little editorial uh, note. He said, but they could have, and that would also have been their right. Well, he's suggesting they didn't do that, but that's precisely what is being argued they did do. And although the Article 5, Section 4 of the Democratic Party Charter stipulates that it will function with total neutrality during Democratic primaries, the DNC lawyer argued that promise is non-binding and there's no right to uh, not have your candidate disadvantaged or have another candidate advantaged. There's no uh, contractual obligation here, he said. This lawsuit has nothing to do with politics or political disagreement with the DNC. This case uh, should concern everyone because it goes to the heart of the country's democratic institutions. So essentially he's saying that the party uh, was within its rights to select one candidate over the other, that it wasn't done in a back room over cigars, but it was done in precisely that way, perhaps somewhere else over lattes, um, but that uh, there's no obligation on the part of the political party to um, commit to not disadvantaging one candidate over the other. Not exactly the kind of heartening news that those who filed lawsuit uh, wanted to hear. A victory by Beck could have a profound impact on how the Democratic Party conducts business in 2020 and beyond. However, those familiar with election law say he faces a very uphill uh, climb. I don't think it's going to amount to much, says Michael Toner. He's a lawyer with the uh, Wiley Rain. Uh, firm and a former legal counsel for the Republican National Committee. He says courts don't typically get in the middle of uh, inter-party disputes. And while I'm sure the DNC does not appreciate having to fight this lawsuit, judges are very reluctant to exercise their jurisdiction over politics. So we'll see what happens, although you're not hearing much reporting on it. We'll try to follow as details, assuming they will become available. And, uh, (coughs) excuse me, the final curtain fell... Oh, to have that um, cough button that we used to have. But the final curtain fell last, um, well, late Sunday on the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus, known widely as the greatest show on earth. Well, the circus that traces its uh, lineage back to uh, showman P.T. Barnum, traveling uh, museum in the 1800s, performed its final show at Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Uniondale, New York. Ringling streamed the final show on its website and on Facebook Live, where about 19,000 viewers watched at one point. One commenter um, remarked, I remember seeing the greatest show on earth as a little girl with my family. Thank you for all your hard work and all the joy you brought to us all. Well, I remember watching the circus with my family. There was nothing, at least at that time, as exciting as going to the circus and seeing the elephants and the lions and all of the other animals and the clowns and the performers uh, as a family. A second unit of the traveling circus closed this month in Providence, uh, Rhode Island. It is now officially no more. The circus last January said it would end its run after 146 years. The move came as circuses and animal performance shows across the country have struggled with declining attendance, shrinking attention spans, and shifting social pressures brought to bear by activists who have argued that animals are sometimes poorly treated. The battle over animal rights dealt a seemingly fatal blow to the circus, ringling Uh, had been targeted by organizations like PETA, who consider it cruel to force animals to perform. Producers removed elephants from the show's performance a year ago, and Feld Entertainment, which owns the circus, said the ticket sales dropped drastically. The company had long battled animal rights activists in costly court skirmishes, winning $15.75 million judgments against them in 2015, but it apparently lost the larger fight of public opinion as well. The circus and its people have continually been a source of inspiration 
connection and joy to my family, says one who appreciated them, the company CB- CEO, rather, Kenneth Feld, in a statement last January, which is why this is uh, such a tough business decision to make. The decision was even more difficult because of the amazing fans that have become part of our extended circus family over the years. We are extremely grateful to the millions of families who have made Ringling Brothers part of their lives for generations, including my own. Before Feld, there was Phineas Taylor Barnum's traveling show of animals and human oddities and the five Ringling Brothers uh, juggling acts and skits in Wisconsin in the 1800s. They emerged and performed across the country, traveling by train. Some still do to this day. The Feld family bought the Ringling Circus in 1967. I probably saw it in 1967. At its prime, the circus was considered a family-friendly outing, but the shows lost their, ap- their appeal toward the end of the 20th century. Feld said last January he believes it grew outdated and difficult for audiences with shorter attention spans. The uh, competitor in many ways is time, he said. It's a different model that uh, we can't see how it works in today's world to justify and maintain an affordable ticket price. So you've got all these uh, things working against it, and it is um, officially ended here in the United States. The greatest show on earth is the greatest show that was and is no more. 45 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. This is the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Uh, tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk with Rebecca Gregory. Rebecca is the author of Taking My Life Back, My Story of Faith, Determination, and Surviving the Boston Marathon Bomber. She is one of the amputees that many of us prayed for fretted about and whose story we watched unfold, at least to some degree, following the events of that fateful day. And she talks about uh, her recovery, her faith and life moving forward after that very tragic and devastating day in terms of her physical uh, capacity. Again, her book is titled Taking My Life Back, My Story of Faith, Determination and Surviving the Boston Marathon Bombing. Certainly will help put into perspective some of the challenges we might face today and how we can move uh, forward uh, beyond them. On Wednesday, we are looking forward to having our friends from Food for the Poor join me here in studio. And we're going to be focusing on a a desperate need. In fact, we're going to encourage you to join us in providing food for a year and water for life for children in the Caribbean and Latin America. We're looking at providing that for a full year, and we'll give you all the important details on that when they join me here in studio on Wednesday and uh, possibly portions of Thursday as well. Uh, we just want to encourage you to uh, uh, to listen up, to make plans to be with us, and uh, to prayerfully consider how you might help make that um, a possibility. There's a desperate need. In particular, you may not be aware of the fact that on October the 4th, I'm not sure what was happening here, but in Haiti, Hurricane Matthew um, was a devastating hurricane. Now, this is a recurring story in Haiti. And so it it recurs uh, the opportunity for us to help meet the needs that develop sometimes in new ways there. Um, as a consequence of Hurricane Matthew, that created a whole series of problems that they're experiencing now. Uh, there is a drought there, which means that food production is down significantly, which in Haiti, uh, for it to be down at all means that an already desperate situation has become much, much worse. So it's uh, it really is a desperate situation in Haiti. And we're going to talk about what's going on there 
as well as um, other Latin American uh, countries uh, where they desperately need help with food and water. And as I mentioned, our goal is to provide food for a year. That means one child, depending on your generosity, one child will have a guaranteed meal for a year or meals and water for life. That means that they're providing a means by which uh, a community, a child has access to clean, potable drinking water, and that is not always the case. Now, as I mentioned, we're focusing on Haiti, but we're also looking at some uh, uh, children in other uh, Latin American countries uh, as well. So that's coming up on Wednesday and part of Thursday as well. And I would uh, encourage you to go to kpdq.com if you'd like to learn more about Food for the Poor. Uh, There are links to the organization, what they do, how they do it. We'll certainly be talking about it, but in addition to that, we'll have the opportunity to, uh, you can have an early opportunity to learn a bit more about the work they are doing. And again, I would encourage you to do that because it helps us prepare, it helps us to pray and um, uh, to listen uh, with some understanding when they join me here in studio on Wednesday for the Food for the Poor Radiothon. So I hope you will be a part of that. Well, they are telling us that this wonderful weather that we are enjoying today is going to continue right through next weekend. What typically happens is we have nice weather, you know, Monday, Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, and then things cool off and the rain returns for the weekend. Well, that is not the case this weekend, and I'm just thrilled that we're going to have uh, some beautiful weather uh, coming into the uh, weekend as we anticipate the holiday weekend next um, next week. I was uh, in an appointment earlier today, and a man walked in and said, is this is this Memorial Day? <laughs> he was a little confused about the date and the day. It wasn't, of course, Memorial Day, but that is coming up next week. Uh, so I'm excited that uh, the weather leading into the weekend, and I'm hoping that will continue right into the following Monday, will be warm and beautiful and um, we can enjoy this summer-like weather at the uh, at the high point of spring. Now, we enjoyed mostly sunny skies today, and throughout the metro area, temperatures reached about, or will reach, about 91. I think uh, 5 o'clock was the, the high point uh, this afternoon. Temperatures on the beach were, uh, were in the 70s. A government camp on um, Mount Hood was also quite warm. Uh, sunny weather continues tomorrow. Temperatures will be more um, comfortable Uh, into the 80s rather than the 90s as we've experienced today. And the seven-day forecast, as I mentioned, looks pretty good. So if you're uh, looking forward to spending a little time outside, this is definitely the weekend to do that. So take uh, full advantage of the week as well as the weekend. Again, tomorrow on the program, Rebecca Gregory will be my guest, taking my life back, my story of faith, determination, and surviving the Boston Marathon bombing. I want to thank Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, James Blend for engineering a portion of and all uh, producing all of today's program, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Once again, I want to encourage you to go to kpdq.com to learn more about our Radiothon coming up on Wednesday with Food for the Poor. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.